as storytellers, one of the things we have to know is that so much of what we know about how to live and move and be in the world is because of media. It's because of the stories that we were told about ourselves. So if institutional and systemic racism is woven into everything, into every aspect of the story, in every aspect of our lives, that's how you have terms like sassy and street cred and spicy Latinas, right? It's because of who has been in charge of telling these single stories about who and what Black women are, who and what Latina women are, right? Who and what everyone is. You're listening to VO Stories, Episode 110, Part 2. Hi, I'm Tina Zaremba, voiceover talent, mentor, and good old-fashioned storyteller. I believe we all have a story to tell. We can all learn from one another. I created this podcast for you, the VO artist who's ready to embrace all that your VO journey has to offer. You'll be inspired, informed, and transformed as you learn from industry experts, VO talents, and my insights from 15 years in the industry, having voiced national commercials to promos and everything in between. Success in voiceovers is more than just a snazzy voice, and this podcast will help show you the way. Thanks for listening. That was Zoe Flowers, a writer, an activist, and so much more speaking at the top of this episode. Welcome back to VO Stories. This is part two of racism in voiceovers and beyond, how to be a part of the solution. In today's episode, you're going to hear the conversation shift from voiceovers and racism to the beyond. This was recorded after the election. However, before the insurrection on January 6th. Without further ado, here's part two. I also want to open up the conversation to the beyond. We want to go to a little bit of the beyond. And I really want to have a little time to talk about the election. And before we do that, uh, because the question I'm going to ask, you know, in asking number one, but before you answer this, I'll give you all a chance to think about it. Were you surprised by the election results? That's one question. And the other question is the Harris-Biden win. Notice how I put Harris first. That's just me. But (laughs) just me in the moment. Will that shift systemic racism in a positive way? So those are the two questions. But before we answer those questions or I open up the floor, Zoe, I want to come to you to really talk about, and Heather talked about it a little bit, but let's define that. Sure. So systemic racism or institutional racism, as it was coined in the 70s by Stokely Carmichael, really talks about the racism that's woven into, I would say, every aspect of American society. It's woven into our education system. It's woven into the criminal justice system. It's woven into healthcare. It is how this country functions. And the thing about it, it is not overt, right? So it can live and it can move and it can make policies and shape organizations and people who are not um, people who are not being impacted by it don't understand it's happening. 
And then when people tell them it's happening, they don't believe them. And so um, I was in this conversation about the, uh, with um, that Chi, I want to make sure I say her name properly, Chi Mumanda Ngozi Diche, her TED Talk, The Danger of the Single Story. And as storytellers, we have to understand that so much of what we know about like how to live and move and be in the world is because of media. It's because of the stories that we were told about ourselves. So if institutional systemic racism is woven into everything, that's how you have these terms like street cred and sassy because who's been in charge of telling these single stories about who and what Black women are, which is why it's so important for us to tell our own stories. It's how you can have people say, oh, I didn't know that there were talented, talented and non-qualified you know, people of color because they've been told one single story of who we are. And then it's how folks of color get othered and have low self-esteem, low self-confidence. Yes, we have the Black girl magic, but we have the undercurrent also of low self-esteem because of this single story. So even though race isn't real, it has very real impacts for people of color. So it plays out into implicit bias, which I think Heather or Tanya talked about in the very beginning, implicit bias and stereotyping. All Black women are sassy. All Black women are angry, right? And if you can create a narrative about us, then you can do anything to us. You can invisibilize us. You can kill us. You can, you can do whatever, right? Because you have a story about who we are. That's my long rambly definition <laughs> of systemic racism. Thank you for that. Thank you for the clarification, because I'm sure there are many people that don't even understand that racism is still a problem because it's not right. a problem for them. That's right. So it's important that that is defined and made clearer. And so people can begin to look through a different lens. So I'm going to open up the floor to just kind of have more of a, a dialogue about this election. And the two questions that I asked in the beginning is, were you surprised? I did see a lot of head shaking this way, like a no. Were you surprised about it? And do you think that we have a new administration coming into the White House? Do you think that systemic racism can shift in, a, in positive ways? I, I, I will say this, and this is Joan, that I was actually stunned that 70 million people voted for Trump. I was absolutely floored. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I'm actually deeply disturbed about it. Mm-hmm. I, I just. I did not. I am. I did not get 70 million people voted for him. I I wasn't surprised by that at all. And on the other hand, because of that, I I was almost pleasantly surprised that Biden and Harris won. And I do. I, I think that things will definitely improve. They already have with them. I mean, I'm looking at the cabinet and and the people that they're choosing, and kind of the promise that Biden made in terms of making it um, diverse and inclusive. And he's doing that. That's already a change. But I don't know the undercurrent if that's really going to change. I mean, we think these things change and still Blacks are still getting killed by police officers. That has not changed. Mm-hmm. Right? So I, I don't know if the, if the core is going to change, but certainly I think some of the surface stuff has shifted and it will continue to shift. 
I don't know in our lifetime if we're going to see real freedom and not stereotyped and not driven by stories that are like ancient about who we are and what we bring to the table. I don't, I don't know if that will change in our lifetime, but certainly I do think things have shifted and they already are. I just don't know how that's really going to fully show up with the undercurrent as intense as it is. You know, I'm not surprised. I'm not surprised because of the people that I grew up with in small town Pennsylvania that I'm friends with on Facebook. And I see the things that they post on their Facebook and on their Instagram. That's why I'm not surprised. I'm not surprised because of the stories that my friends tell me about their parents or their grandparents or their neighbor. That's why I'm not surprised. I'm not surprised because I just see it. If I, you know, I always like put on Fox News so that I can just hear how other people, how people think that people that I know think differently than me. I'd like to hear it. I'd like to see their perspective and understand it to the best of my ability. So that's why I'm not surprised, but it's disturbing nonetheless, right? It's upsetting. It's like, how, how is this a thing? How is it that this many people believe in this? But it was invigorating. It, it filled my heart with pride. I'm not from this country born, right? I mean, I am American, right? In the sense that like I've lived here now for most of my life. And when I go places, people are like, oh, you have an American accent. And I'm like, oh, whatever. So I'm very much an American. And I'm super proud that when it was all resolved, that people believe in something bigger, that that belief that we can be better, that we can see one another and that we can come together and be good. That's what I believe in America. Like you come to this country to be good. And it's like this beacon of hope and any dream can come true in America. I still, baby me still holds on to that little thing. Cause we did it. Like we were literally dancing in the streets here in Brooklyn when it was finally announced mm-hmm. with our masks on <laughs> jamming, but it was like, okay, there's still hope that undercurrent is still here. Like I still think there's messiness coming. Uh, leading up until this inauguration. I do believe in our greater common good, our decency. I, I believe that that's still, that it's still greater than than this moment and this mess. That's just I, me. I agree with you, Kadeen. I think we have to remember there is power that is beyond us, beyond Harris and Biden. I do not expect to see significant changes. I hope to see it. I think perspectives will change. But like, why are we leaving that to an administration to figure out for us when we just had an election where like, in my eyes, love won. We won. I mean, the fact that Oprah had a prayer call the Monday night before the election is a testament to people really wanted to come together and create an energy and a force or amplify that energy and that force that has nothing to do with Trump, Biden and Harris. Because at the end of the day, why were we dancing in those streets, like you said, Kadeen? And why was I crying, crying in my living room and saying, thank you, God. Thank you, God. Because I believe that we, I think our country has a soul issue. I think it's individually and then it individually comes together as a collective. If we put that much power in the hands of these politicians, there's something wrong with us. There's something wrong with our worth and how we feel about ourselves. There are people who are probably like in wheelchairs who healthcare options were going to be compromised, who didn't even care enough about that, which means they didn't even care enough about themselves. So I 
A, do I think change is coming? Absolutely, there is change coming and it's ongoing. And maybe we'll get to the point where if you make comments and you're and you're not speaking out about systemic racism, like you're going to look like a loser in all of this. Maybe that day will come when Justin, my son, is like, you know, our age. We have to remember is it's about connection. And I think that's what the protest showed us. And that's what this election. Yes, we're totally opposed. And I think more important than ever, let's like start looking at real conversations. Like, why are men so angry that they're showing up with guns? at the uh, federal halls? Why are there militias coming together? Why is the answer guns? Why is it violence? Why is it anger? That's the stuff we need to be paying attention to that it's infusing all of this anger and this and uh, dissonance in this country. So I was just like, wow, me, Tanya, I always say this and I will never, ever deny it. Thank you, God. Thank you for everybody coming together and, and, and just creating this incredible force that allowed us a little bit of peace and respite and sleep, you know? So, you know, maybe, may that continue. May we not forget and may we continue in these days to come. Yeah. This is Zoe. And I, I wholeheartedly agree. I was relieved, so relieved. I was so excited when I went to the polls with my mother and I saw so many young people, And so I was just so excited. And then, you know, it got tricky. There was a moment in the evening I was like, oh, I'm going to bed. I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen. And and then just over the coming days, the final sort of result, I was relieved and I was proud. And I loved, like you were talking about, Tanya, like energetically, you know, Oprah had her prayer call. Us folks that do a different kind of spirituality, we was doing our stuff behind the scenes. Like, you know, we was just doing all kinds of stuff. And I don't remember seeing that before. Just so many, what you would think are different folks coming together, like we are going to turn this thing around. And so I was very excited and very happy to see the amount of people that were like, yeah, we're, we're going to turn this around. And happy yeah, to be I, a part is, of it too. I was happy to be a part of right, it. Right, right. This is Heather. I think I, I have an interesting perspective here because I live in the South. And so I live in a different bubble and I think it's important or let me rephrase that. I think what I now know is that we all live in in a different bubble, all of us. So I live in a neighborhood where most people don't vote like me. And in this bubble, um, the feeling was quite different. So I will say this, what I know is that both sides thought they were going to come out victorious and both sides had prayer circles. And both sides had people thinking that if I lose, this will be the end of life as I know it. Both sides thought that. Did I think that? Yes, Zoe, to your point, there was a point in the night where I was like, I, I literally did go to bed. I told my husband, I was like, that's it. I'm, I'm going to bed. I can't. I can't take it. I went to bed. But like one eye open on the TV. Um, and then, it, it, so our guy won, right? Our guy won. That's great. But about half of us, believe that that was the right thing. About half of us believe that that was the wrong thing. And to your point, Tanya, I would really like to dig into why that is. So Biden and Harris have about 24 months, right, to make something happen. And we all know that if Georgia doesn't go the way we want Georgia to go, then it's going to be impossible to make that change. I don't think that's hopelessness. I think it's just going to be hard. And we actually have been there before with Obama's second term, right? So it's going to be hard. We have to make sure 
that we know things. A friend of mine said this the other day, we have to teach our children that elections are not every four years, elections are every two years. And that there is something to be done after the election. There's a lot of work to do and that we don't just turn off the TV and go about our lives for the next three and a half years. There's a lot of work to be done in between if you want the change to happen. You know, it's not even the first time we've seen a terribly diverse cabinet. We saw that with Obama. I think there are so many other things to be done. And I think they're to be done on the individual, on the family and on the local level. Mm -hmm. And that's where the real change has to happen, because I'm here to tell you, I know an awful lot of people who think that Biden-Harris winning is the worst thing that could possibly have happened to our country. I don't believe that. But about half of the voting population in this country does believe that. And they are now strategizing, probably since the Sunday after that Saturday, when we heard that Biden won. They've been strategizing so that this never happens again. My concern is that liberals and Democrats, we don't start strategizing till much, much later, (laughs) much to our detriment. So I just think I'm hopeful. I think that the change that we're talking about has already happened. And that's what I would remind people. A lot of it happened before the election. And look at so many things happened in 2020. We're even having a conversation about it now. I would want people to remember those things and don't say that, oh, it's because of the election. It's because Biden and Harris won that these things are not now happening. We all know the reality is it took the murder of a black man in front of all of our faces for these changes to start happening. It was not the election. It was not the defeat of Trump. It was the murder of a black man on camera, nine minutes that we all know has been happening over and over again, everywhere in all of our communities for hundreds of years. But for whatever reason, it happened for some people. They saw it for the first time. That was the catalyst for the change that we're talking about. So I'm, I'm hopeful that we're still going to ride that wave and that the election won't hurt it. I hope it will help it. But that's, that's kind of where my head is and, and where, you know, the hope that I, that I have, I think to Tanya's point is it's in us, it's in the people right now. I was just going to jump in real quick and to what Tanya's point is and what you're saying as well, Heather. So half of the people, they feel super disenfranchised, right? So what is that about? Like you said, let's get down to the business of let's figure this out. How do we come together? And I think it's me personally, as a woman of color from another country living in this living in this country, I heard it best explained by a professor on a project that I worked on once, which is white people in America are like only children. They are used to having everything. Everything is theirs. And now that they are being told, not only told, but that they have to share, they're upset, they're pissed. It's really to me, right? That's how I see it. I see it as you are not used to sharing. You are not used to being, to co-starring. You are used to being the star of the play, the school play. And now you have a co-star or maybe several co-stars. And then you've got to learn how to share that spotlight, that limelight, that that economy, the land, the real estate. Yeah, We've got to share. And, And that is what we're up against. It's people who are used to being in the most important, in the front of the line. 
Mm-hmm. This is Zoe, and I just want to quickly add to that also part of the story, the myth of America is also the rugged individual. So it is, yes, not being used to share, but it's also the individual, right? So where something like wearing a mask will be politicized. So it is intrinsically Americans have a problem with people telling them what to do of all races. (laughs) That is something that cuts across race and ethnicity in this country is we don't like people telling us what to do. That's a part of the story, again, of the country. So how do we reframe those stories? to make us become more collective and be okay taking instruction. One last question, because I think it's necessary and needed in terms of allyship for those allies who want to do better, who want to, and don't know how they want awareness. I'm just going to quickly just kind of open it up again. I know it's a huge topic that we are addressing, but I feel like we're making some real headway here. And as we all say, it starts within, it starts with us, it starts with honest conversation and dialogue. What can we say to those people who really want to be allies? Tanya, you're here, right, looking at me. So I'm going to say, let's start with you. (laughs) I would say this, you have to be courageous and cultivate courage, right? And, And cultivate awareness, but also maybe a tone. Where have you slipped in the past? Where have you been a part of the problem? And we're talking about narratives. I love that, Zoe. I love talking about narratives with my clients. But I would say be courageous to recreate your narrative. So that's your narrative at work, your narrative with your children, your narrative in your circle, and try to cultivate the courage to speak up and speak out in your circles. Because I think that's part of the problems. A lot of allies who want to do things are also afraid to speak up when so many of their people are against them. That's it. Yes. Speak up, speak out. Anyone else would like to add to that quickly? This is Joan. I was going to say off the heels of that, I think the ability to put yourself in other people's shoes, I think that that can help create breakthroughs and breakthroughs in awareness, breakthroughs in actually what to do, as opposed to being given a map what to do. If, if this is really something that it's in your heart, but you don't know how to do it, put yourself in our shoes. And I guarantee you, you will be led because people that want to be allies, they already have an open heart. And sometimes you don't even have to know what to exactly do. You're just led by your intuition. Mm. You're led by conversations. Conversations are where miracles happen. It's where reality is created. So just even engaging in conversations with people, you will know what to do. You will be led. Great. Heather? I mean, that was a bit of a mic drop. Um, Joan. So I, I would say I agree with that. I mean, you. I always say that it, it has to start with a conversation. I was actually, when you were talking, I was thinking about the very first conversation I had with Tina. We didn't even know what we were talking about. What um, I just know I'm supposed to talk to you and I'm supposed to call you. And then it led to like a hundred things. And those things wouldn't have happened if we hadn't had that first conversation. I know it sounds cliche and I know it sounds cheesy, but I also have had a lot of people come to me in 2020 and say, I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do. I don't know where to start. 
And if you're on the receiving end of that, I know that can be weighty. I know we are exhausted and sometimes angry and it forces us to not just have a day sometimes. But if someone comes to you with that, be receptive to that and understand that. And for that person, just talking, honestly, let somebody know where you are, what headspace you're in and what you're trying to do. And seeing so many things with so many rules around how this conversation is supposed to go. Don't make the black person do any work. You know, don't make them do any heavy lifting. Do your own homework. You know, I'm laughing and I know those things are true. For half a second, let's just forget the rules and just start having a conversation human to human because you will find common ground. I promise you, you will find common ground. And if you believe there are forces of good, you have to believe there are forces of evil that don't want you to find that common ground. They want you to stay stuck in guilt. They want you to stay stuck stuck in fear. They want you to stay stuck in, in shame. I'm not going to have that conversation. I'm going to come off looking stupid. I'm not going to ask her that. I'm going to embarrass myself. I'm not going to ask her that. I'm going to sound like a racist. Any and all of those things might be true, but you will never know if you don't have the conversation. That would be my advice. And I hope that people continue to do it after this year. Yes. Yes. Kadeen, you were going to say something. Yes. Thank you. I would say that we all just need to like vibrate higher, right? Let's just be the better versions of ourselves and show up for one another better. Somebody said that one of the most profound things I've heard in a long time. And she's like, nobody asked me how I'm doing. It was like, you know, somebody was like a celebrity and I'm interviewing, but she's like, I'm like, what they were. And the question was, what's something that nobody, that you wish somebody would ask that nobody asked you? She said, nobody asked me how I'm doing. For those conversations, sometimes when I'm in these Zoom meetings for work and it'll be me and just like one other coworker or whatever, and we're waiting for it. And I'm like, how are you? Really? How are you? You know, like, this is crazy. We can't even sit in an office together. How are you doing? How is your family? How are your children? Let's just connect as humans. And then once you can do that, I will always stand my queen, Rihanna, and say that if you're an ally, pull up, pull up for those people, meet them where they're at, connect as a human and pull up and show up. I I leave it at that. Zoe? So I'm always going to say amplify the voices of artists of color. And also in the words of Queen Rihanna, you know, I'll say it a little bit different, but, you know, fund us as well, right? Give us the money also, okay? Fund Black art, fund Latinx art, fund trans folks of color organizations, right? Like we love when our aspiring allies and our co-conspirators do that because again, that to help us, you know, not be locked out. So amplifying our voices and supporting supporting our livelihoods. Yes, yes, ladies. This has been yet a rich, invigorating, and I hope for those who are listening, meaningful, and I hope a take action conversation. Let's put it on the I. And if we can just start there and take one step, if you heard one thing, one thing, you don't even have to take, because there's a lot of information that was shared this evening those listening, some people may not want to be hear it, or some people may put get a little put off, and that's okay. Heather, as you say, you know what? Ask the questions. Be courageous. Don't be afraid to say, hey, I listened to this podcast, and this is what I learned. Let me go out and share that with someone else, or let me share the podcast. If there's something that you heard that inspired you to do something different, I know that I am grateful to be in the presence of brilliance and beauty, each and every one of you ladies inside and out. 
I thank from the bottom of my heart all the panelists and the moderator for taking their time, for sharing their wisdom. Guys, this isn't an easy conversation, but it is a much needed one. I can personally say, as I worked on these episodes, edited them, and listened to them over and over, I felt everything from guilt to confusion to shame. Also, I realized that prior to this conversation, I held the subconscious belief that racism really doesn't apply to me. This is really uncomfortable to even say out loud. I think I believe, no, I know I believe that I'm a good person. I'm nice. This doesn't apply to me, but it does. It so does. As Zoe said, racism is woven into our systems, our institutions. We didn't start it. It's been here. I do believe we can start to make a shift. It takes work. My intention for those listening is the same intention I hold for myself. It's this. May we continue to awaken, continue to grow, and step into the knowing that the work we do when it comes to issues of social justice, it will have a ripple effect. Not just for now, but for future generations. Look, I'm not claiming to be an expert, hence why I did not moderate this. I'm a student. I'll provide resources to some books and materials that have been helpful to me as I continue to learn. Last thing here. Alrighty. Now, VO Stories. Where is it going? That's a really good question. As I said in the intro of part one of this episode, this is a surreal time to be living. And I've had to let go of expectations of what I should be doing, of who I should be, and just be in the moment. I will say I am committed to providing real, raw, and relevant episodes to you. So at the moment, I'm working on a calendar with these various topics that I want to cover, and I'm beginning to record with various guests, some that are in the voiceover space, some that are not. I don't want to give you a firm date just yet when this is going to be live, but stay with me on Instagram because that's where I am the most. My handle is Tina Zaremba VL, and thank you. Thank you for those of you that have reached out, asking how my health is, asking when the podcast is coming back, and just offering words of support. I'm grateful. So one last thing that I want to say before I close up this episode. Whether you're in voiceovers, interested in voiceovers, or just interested in this podcast and have been listening to it, your voice matters. Now more than ever, your voice is needed. Maya Angelou said, words mean more than what is set down on paper. It takes the human voice to infuse them with deeper meaning. Remember that. Until next time. Here's to owning our voices.